Hi, I'm Kevin Alvis with Big Talk Podcasts. I believe that everyone needs to treat themselves for a job well done. Whether it's surviving a workday jam-packed with mind-numbing meetings, or that five-mile bike ride down the lake with your friends, nothing says, I fucking crushed this, like a delicious cold beer. And there's no finer place to treat yourself than Chicago's northernmost taproom, Howard Street Brewing. Just steps from the Howard Street Red Line, Howard Street Brewing offers a cozy 37-seat taproom that's perfect for catching up with old friends or making some new ones. And don't let their one-barrel system fool you. It's perfectly pumping out a rotating menu of amazing beers like Roger's Proud Pale Ale, the Better Late Than Never Pilsner, and the This Is What Happens Larry Belgian Saison. Not sure what to try? Get a flight. Try them all. Like that beer and want some for the after party? Grab a few growlers for the road. You want some sweet merch with your beers? They've got hats and t-shirts ready for you too. So if you're in Chicago or planning a trip to Chicago, be sure to check out Howard Street Brewing. Open Tuesday through Sunday. No cash, cards only. Oh, and did I mention that there's entertainment every Tuesday night and trivia every Wednesday night? Oh, 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 and did I mention that you can have food from all the local spots delivered right to your table? Oh, 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 and did I mention that they're pet friendly? This place is the shit. So check out Howard Street Brewing, located at 1617 West Howard Street in Chicago and at howardstreetbrewing.com. Be sure to tell them Big Talk sent ya. All right, let's do this. Pop shit. Pop <laughs> shit? <laughs> you can't. That's, that is the subtitle for our podcast. Pop shit. Oh, you tried to dance with the big dogs, Dylan, but you tripped over your paws. Oh, no. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. Try it again. Pop quiz, hotshot. There you go. How old is Grover? I'm going to say Grover's like 32. Everybody's got a little thing to say about the stuff they love. Pop culture. Rebel and Amanda are going to teach their dads, Phil and Dylan, if they're willing. If they're willing to. Hop on, pop culture. Hop on, pop culture. Hop on, pop culture now. Friends are gonna ask the kids about books and movies and TV shows. And those two guys might open their eyes and see it's all just a big surprise. They're, they're gonna, gonna hop on, hop on, they're gonna hop on, hop on, hop on, Which restaurant is one of your favorites? Well, since we live in Evanston now, there's a place called Stacked and Folded that I really love. Stacked and Folded. Stacked and Folded. I'm assuming that that describes the kind of food. Is it like pancakes and tacos? Oh, close. Folded is tacos, but stacked is Burgers and tacos? Sandwiches Sandwiches. Oh, okay, cool. Are tacos a sandwich? No. Well, I guess it depends. Do you consider tortilla a bread? That's very interesting. I mean, a variation? Yeah, like a variant yeah, yeah, bread. But I mean, it's an international bread or international sandwich, I suppose. I suppose. Well, it's a tortilla and it's crisped up. I mean, it's the preparation is different, but it doesn't necessarily change what it is at its core. Right? I suppose. Now, consider the hot dog. Yeah, okay. You've got the bun and you've got yeah. the, the contents inside but now dylan i have finally come to an adequate solution to the problem is a hot dog or a taco a sandwich okay what is your answer all hot dogs and tacos are sandwiches okay but not all sandwiches are hot dogs and tacos 
Oh, yeah. It's like a square it's and a, a rectangle. square rectangle. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. See, now here is where I differ from you, and it's very specific. So a sandwich, in general, is not closed on any side. Both a taco and hot dog have one part of it that is closed. Do you consider a hero to be a sandwich? That's a good question. What about a Subway footlong? <laughs> well, a Subway, a footlong Subway sandwich. Have you had herbs and gerbs? I have had herbs those and gerbs. Those are sandwiches. You tell oh, me those aren't sandwiches. Right. You're right, because they don't always close. Or they yeah, don't got you there. Oh, goodness. Yeah, now we're getting into trapezoids and weird shit. I don't like this. <laughs> math Math was I mean, never That reminds me, did you know that we're listed as explicit on, like, Google Podcasts? Because we swear. Know. I did yeah, not know so we that. got like all this cool Dr. Seuss artwork, and we're talking about kids' shows, and then we got the little E next to us cool. to say, "Hey, your kid can't I, listen to it with you." That's how I listen to our podcast, and I did not notice that. <laughs> My brother sent me a screenshot. I, nice. I laughed. That's very funny. It's like the parental advisory warning from our youth that it doesn't mean anything because that just means that's the cool music to buy kids. Go buy this stuff. There's swears. The in first it. one of those that I owned was Tenacious D. Oh, yeah. I, like, I was like, hey, dad, I want to buy this. You know, they're really funny. And he's like, oh, yeah, sure. Like, wasn't really paying attention. So, yeah, consented in front of the register. Yep. They let me buy it. And then they never listened to it. I listened to the Tenacious D album back and forth. Yeah. Countless times. I think I have like every lyric memorized. Oh, yeah. Still. Easily. Easily. One day I had it in the CD player of our van, and the van needed to go to the shop for some work. I dropped it off. My dad went to go pick it up. No. I get a text message from him saying, hey, what's this song about kielbasa sausage? (laughs) Where did you get this CD? And I'm like, I got it with you, Dad. I got it by asking you. You consented. You did. (laughs) I think, honestly, my first one was the Blink-182 live album from, like, 2003. That's because you're so much cooler than me. (laughs) Well, because I didn't get Tenacious D until a few years later. Like, this is one where I was, like, it was my first modern band that I bought a CD of. It might have been Sum 41. Either way. Something to do with numbers. Something to do with numbers and pop punk. 21 pilots. Oh, no. not That's way past our time. We're too old for 21 pilots. That's the youth. Listen to that. We listen to Blink-182 in their middle-aged dad rock, I guess, now. Anyways. What's my age again? <laughs> What's your age again? I don't know. It's not polite to ask a man his age, or anybody their age, for that matter. That's why I've heard, at least. So, Phil, you don't look like a monster. Let me tell you that. I don't look like a monster? No, you don't. That's an oddly nice thing to say, I suppose. I think that's what we call a segue into what we're talking about tonight. A terrible segue. But there is a monster at the end of a book. Is there a monster at the end of this podcast? Wait to find out. Oh, no. Wait, are you telling me there's a monster at the end of this podcast? I, I am telling you there's a monster at the end of is this Is there podcast. a monster at the end of this podcast, There Dylan? is a monster at the end of this podcast. Dylan! There's a monster. There's a monster at the end of this At the podcast. end of the podcast. Oh, I have anxiety about this now. I know. And I'm here to help you out. So, Phil, what do you know about the book 
the monster at the end of this book. I know. Oh, I love that book. That is one of my absolute favorite books. Yeah, it's incredible. The monster at the end of this book starring lovable furry old Grover. Oh, Grover. Oh, my goodness. Out of curiosity, how did you get a copy of the book? I have no idea. You you acquire stuff as a parent. Things show up. I don't even think that Little Golden Books is a real publisher. I think there's some kind of like eldritch (laughs) curse where you have children and then these little golden books just materialize in your house. Yeah. And you're stuck with them. At at some point in, I think, middle school, I remember vividly my dad coming home one day and saying, I bought stock in Golden Books. (laughs) He bought stock in Golden (laughs) Books? I don't, I mean, he's going to listen to this, so call me and tell me I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure he bought stock in Golden Books and did not make any money off a stock purchase of Golden Books. (laughs) Wow. So it was a real company. Well, I can tell you specifically how we came across this book, which was my good friend, Marsha Van Risen from Appleton. She gave it to us along with another Grover book. The Everything in the World Museum. The Everything in the World Museum? Yeah. Does Grover just take you around a museum inside the book that has everything Everything in the world? Everything in the world. What a wonderful idea. I know. It's great. They're both great, but they were two books that Mal loved pretty quickly. And Marsha gave them to us because they were her favorite books when she was a kid. So we have like the original 1970s version because they were also her aunts when her aunt was a kid. So they are like three generations passed down now. So that's how we got the book. So yours is a family curse. Okay. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yes. It's a family curse. It's like the ring, except in book form and no one dies at the end. But there is a monster at the end of the book. There's a monster at the end of this VHS tape. <laughs> anyway, there's a monster at the end of this book, right? There's a monster at the end of this book. So like you said, it's a book starring lovable furry old Grover, our favorite Sesame Street character. So what do you know about Grover? Um, I mean, he's blue. He's he's like... He is a he is a chaotic mess. There, there's yes. this uh, blue muppet, and he's got a pink nose, and he's bald on top, but he's got brown hair on the sides, and he is always running into Grover. He is always being inconvenienced <laughs> or startled or confused by Grover. He is a beautiful straight man to Grover's antics. Absolutely, um, I know that Grover is a superhero. He is super Grover. Although I've actually never seen the two of them in the same room. Actually, no, that makes sense because I just said he is him. Yeah, yeah. And otherwise, I don't know. I don't know much about his history. I don't know how he came to be. I don't know who does his voice. I really don't know anything about him other than surface level stuff. Well, for the purpose of this podcast tonight, I'm just going to refer to Grover as just Grover. So instead of someone doing his voice, Grover just is Grover. So when I talk about him, I'll just tell you the history of Grover I'm excited to hear Grover's biography. So Grover was one of the original Jim Henson puppets. And before Sesame Street was a thing, Grover appeared on the Ed Sullivan show as part of a Jim Henson sketch. And that was in the mid 60s or so. So Sesame Street was started in 1969. And Grover appeared maybe five years before that for the first time. So Grover was always kind of one of Jim Henson's things. And then in season two of Sesame Street, Grover was introduced 
and instantly became the most popular character on Sesame Street. So Grover was just an institution from then on out up until his personality changed much from his debut to how we knew him today. No. And even, even so much so that that guy you were talking about with the mustache and the hair on his side of his head, he was Grover's foil from the beginning. Grover has been working on this guy since 1970. It's like watching a comedy duo make it from vaudeville to the talkies. Absolutely. That is 100% what it is. And that's kind of how they were designed as like an Abbott and Costello or Laurel and Hardy. I see it now. Yeah. Does the little blue guy have a name? Yes, he does. Yeah. The guy with the mustache, you mean? Yeah. Um, yes, he does. And I didn't write it down. <laughs> but I remember where I saw it. So I'm going to look it up real quick. <laughs> Uh, burr, burr, burr. Okay, his name is Mr. Johnson. Mr. Johnson, easy to remember, pretty generic, but I think that that's great because Grover is kind of odd. Exactly. So Grover is the. Well, you odd know, actually, one. we had a we had a president named Grover. Yeah, Grover Cleveland. Twice, in fact. In fact, yes. And when I was in high school, I don't know if you had to do this, but we did like a March Madness thing for the presidents. Did you have to do that? Tell me about that. Okay, so everybody drew a precedent, and then you had to debate why they were the best precedent of all time. When you say drew, like out of a hat or out of a hat, yeah, out of a hat. Okay, out of a hat. So they we put all the presidents in a hat. You had to draw one and debate their merits as the best president of all time. Oh boy! So you have to take a pro stance on whatever president you pick. Ever. And that you're advocating that they're the best for all time, not just like the decade they were in. Exactly. So oh imagine someone I just drawing. Like, I, I think I would drop out of school if I picked Reagan out of that hat. Oh, I well, imagine getting William Henry Harrison, who died in 30 days. How are you going to debate William Henry Harrison, who didn't do anything because he was sick the entire time and then died? So he was our wittiest president. Yeah, brevity is the soul of wit, and he just got right out of there. There you have it. But I drew Grover, and my entire... Yes, Grover Cleveland. Yeah, not Grover the Muppet, but my entire argument was this was the early days of the internet, and I just found a website that had Grover's voice saying things. So I just got up on stage and pulled it up on the teacher's computer, and just any time my opponent would say anything, I would just press a Grover button. And that was my only argument for being the best president because Grover Cleveland was a terrible president. Did you win the debate? I got through my first two debates doing that. Wow. It's amazing what the student body is willing to permit in high school. Exactly. And looking back on it, probably a bad choice by the history teacher to just be like, yeah, I'm not going to grade this. I'm going to let the class decide. <laughs> I'm going to give teachers the benefit of the doubt any day of the week. Yeah, that might have been. Probably could have tightened that one up a little more. So Grover, the Muppet, not the president, Grover the Muppet has been just a fixture on Sesame Street forever. And because he was so popular, when Sesame Street started branching out from their very successful TV show to other media, Grover was kind of the first to get into that. So if you look at all the old Sesame Street books, they're all Grover 
based. Oh, they really are. I mean, Grover is just a constant presence in there. And Grover as a Muppet has probably met more famous people than any other Muppet on Sesame Street. Even Elmo, huh? Even Elmo. Well, because Elmo is still new. You know, Grover has an, uh, 15 years on Elmo. Wait, Grover's got 15 years on Elmo. Yeah. Grover debuted 1962, you said? On Sesame Street, Grover debuted in 1970. And that's what I was talking about. Like, Oh, so Elmo's from 85. So Elmo's not new, but Elmo's older than me. Yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I feel old or young. This is a weird age we're at. Yeah. What's my age again? What's my age again? What's your age again? Take off your pants and jacket. What, dude? No, sorry, sorry. Inappropriate. I forgot the rest of the lyrics, and that's why I'm surprised. It's okay. And I was just saying a Blink-182 album. And this is why we're explicit. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now it's time for Hop on Pop After Dark. Phil? <laughs> Elmo came over in 1985. Elmo had been just like a background character starting in 1980. He was just one of the Muppets that they just always had in the back of the closet that like nobody could figure out a voice for. And then in 1985, uh, Elmo, as we know him, debuted as a talking character. And once again, Elmo became unbelievably popular incredibly quickly took off just like grover did yeah exactly and kind of took over in a lot of ways for grover i mean elmo had a 15 minute segment at the end of every sesame street episode for years and now that they've cut sesame street down from an hour to a half hour he still gets his own or not he so that's the other thing is elmo is non-binary Elmo never says, I am uh, a boy or a girl. Elmo is just Elmo. Suppose I've never heard Elmo. Elmo always talks in the third person. Elmo is always Elmo. Elmo is just Elmo. And I suppose everyone else also refers to Elmo as Elmo. That's right. So Elmo doesn't even have pronouns. No, Elmo doesn't have pronouns at all. That's cool. So Elmo is non-binary. I'm assuming on Sesame Street, the writers are eventually going to talk about that because they have been increasing their social awareness over the past few years in a really great way you know introducing their first character with autism and introducing the first gay family on sesame street and all sorts of stuff like that that's just kind of yeah. introducing I, rebel never really got into sesame street but oh really uh, okay i tried to have it on for her because you know it's like it's good it's quality yeah it's, i find it very funny I, I tried to get her to watch it but she never really got into it so i haven't seen it in probably about a year or so i think at least. eventually we're gonna have to do a full sesame street episode because mal loves sesame street it's something he watches every morning with amy on the weekends with me he doesn't want to watch it both amy it is like boom 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 he has his favorite episodes he has his favorite characters he's learned so much from it it's great and i've started to love it too i mean just the other day i was reminded that uh, Sesame Street had a Donald Trump character on it. Oh, that's right. He was awful. Ronald Grump, who bought Oscar's trash can at one point and turned it into a high-rise condominium of trash cans and then evicted Oscar and replaced him with an elephant. So that was great. He also tried to buy Sesame Street at one point and sell it to a developer. <laughs> And then he had the Grump Apprentice as well, which was just a bunch of grouches. They really went for it, which is pretty solid. <laughs> well, if more people watch something like Sesame Street. Anyway, Dylan, there's a monster at the end of this book. I just keep distracting us 
Because I want to remind you, there's a monster at the end of oh, this yeah, podcast, right. and I'm nervous about that, and I don't want to get to the monster at the end of this podcast. All right. So the monster at the end of this book. The monster at the end of this book was written by John Stone, who was one of the original writers on Sesame Street, and he actually wrote the pilot of Sesame Street. And he wrote the pilot after saying, you know what, I'm not going to write for TV anymore. And then they called him and were like, hey, can you write this one last pilot for Sesame Street? And he's like, yeah, sure. So he did. And then was a writer until his death. It was one of the first books that came out of the Sesame Street oeuvre. And it was incredibly popular. And still to this day, it's voted as one of the best children books of all time. People just constantly bring this up as being incredibly influential, including like the Stinky Cheese Man. Love the Stinky Cheese Man. But the author of the Stinky Cheese Man has said, my book would not exist without the monster at the end of this book, which is pretty amazing for just being a Sesame Street book well it does something great it completely breaks the fourth wall the entire time exactly rover is speaking directly to you and expressing this fear and reacting as you continue to read and progress towards what he's afraid of exactly so if you haven't read the book the entire premise is that grover comes onto the page and says oh what did that title say there's a monster at the end of this book and then he just tries to prevent you from turning the pages in the book because he doesn't want to see the monster at the end. And that's the story. It's so simple. I love it. They also interact with the structure of the book itself because when you open it up to the title page where there's all the publishing and copyright information, Grover is at the bottom and he is saying, this is a very dull page. What is on the next page? And he's turning the page over exactly that's what a kid would do that's exactly what i'd be like oh it's a bunch of words and stuff oh but there's grover i like grover that was why the book was written it was to encourage kids to love reading by making them want to turn the page that was their whole point in writing this book oh that's awesome it's just fun you just get to sit there and be like oh grover doesn't want me to do this but i really want to i really want to be i think it worked on rebel yeah did this kind of help rebel learn to read and uh, i don't mean i don't know if she needed the help so much but she definitely really enjoyed this one early on and she really enjoys being read to yeah this was one that mel really dug right away too and i heard you do your grover voice before is that similar to your grover voice michelle and i were talking about our grover voices and we both just slip into this mysterious kind of eastern european area <laughs> fair my grover voice is terrible Oh, this is a boring page. Let me go to the next page. I feel like you have an Irish Grover. I do have an Irish Grover. Is this what happens with your accents that wind up centered around Ireland? Call out to my friend, Sammy Grant, who is a dialect coach and professor in college, who once told me, hey, Dylan, I think you're a great actor. Uh, you're doing a great job out there. You should never do a dialect ever again in your life, which was great advice. And I've, <laughs> I've mostly taken to it because I'm terrible at them. And yeah, they all sound Irish. Except for Irish, which sounds... Sounds Australian. Yeah. Yeah, you remember that? I distinctly remember that. I'm looking at my favorite page right now. Yeah. Uh, my second favorite page. Actually, I don't know. It's hard to pick a favorite. I'm looking at one of my favorite parts of this book right now. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, Grover has realized that there is a monster at the end of the book. And he is lying down on the floor, uh, facing the out, you know, towards mm -hmm. the reader, uh, holding a finger to his lips. And in the beautifully, I love the speech bubbles, there's colors, there's different fonts and, and different 
shapes and stuff like that. So even just looking at it, even if you can't read, you get an idea of the cadence and the emotion behind it. And he's saying, listen, I have an idea. If you do not turn pages, we will never get to the end of this book. And that is good because there is a monster at the end of this book. So please do not turn the Still, this is my favorite page. You turn the page! <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think I want to get this picture of Grover tattooed on me somewhere. <laughs> I love it. That image is like a famous image for people. Like, I just randomly, I posted it on uh, social media when Mal and I were first reading it. And I had so many people reach out to me to be like, that book and just from that image alone it was like yeah you know it you know that book and actually uh, uh someone i hadn't talked to in years reached out to me and said hey there's a version of this on pbs i was like oh cool and then we went and found it but it's just it, it's delightful everything about it like you were saying the shapes the colors the story just grover's tone and and how his size perspective changes from page to page it's a it's a gorgeous book. The art is fantastic. Like right after the oh, you turn the page. He's tried reasoning with you, and now he's going to try to prevent you from doing it again because he doesn't trust you to listen to his pleas anymore. Like he's still asking you. Like the picture is him holding a bunch of ropes, his arms crossed around him. There's knots everywhere. He's like tied the pages together so that the child cannot physically turn the page. It's like a challenge to the child. I can see now how they're baiting the children into enjoying reading because turning the page is fun. Exactly. And then from there, he builds a brick wall, too, to try to prevent you from turning the page, which is one of my favorites. And then when you turn the page on the brick wall, it says in, in small lettering, oh, you are very strong. I Which love is that. Like, it's so it's so gorgeous. Everything about it. Like, that line gets rebel every time. Same with Mal. He just loves that line. It's so good. The, the comedic structure of it is perfect. You know, there's this big buildup of anticipation. This wall is strong. I'm building it up. I'm going to stop you. There is mm -hmm. no way you can do this. And it happens. He's under the pile of bricks. You are very strong. <laughs> what's the name of that acting exercise, Dylan, where you say what's in front of you? Meisner. Oh, Meisner. Yeah. In a way, it is. It is Meisner. The comedy yeah. that almost, almost feels like a Meisner exercise yeah. where he's just like a blank slate and he's just stating an obvious observation plainly. And I think that's I love that so much. Not saying that this book is so comedically advanced <laughs> that John Stone was drawing from you know Meisner. But yeah, but still. And then the thing that I've noticed recently is at the end of the book, Grover it says, please, 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 please do not turn the page. Please, please, please. And uh, that's something that Mal has been doing recently when he doesn't want to do something. He'll say, please, please, please do not turn the page. Please, 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 oh, please, please. And it just hit me as I was reviewing stuff for this episode. I was like, oh, that's where he got that from. Please. Oh. Please. I'm like, ah, so it's it's teaching good things, but also bad things in my world. Spoiler alert. How does the book end, Dylan? How does the book end? The book ends and there is a monster at the end of the book. And the monster is Grover. Oh, nothing to be afraid of at all. 
And then Grover says, oh, and you were so scared. I told you there was nothing to be afraid of. I told you <laughs> and told you. And then it ends on the very last page with the small letter. Almost like a stinger, you know, like you stay at the end of a movie. If you go to the very last page, the stinger is, oh, I am so embarrassed. It's like tiny little typewriter type in this huge thought bubble. And the way that he is drawn in the corner with his hands on his head and face, the, the look of embarrassment that the artist captured is magnificent. The tiny hype in the big thought bubble making you know that his voice is small and diminished but the thought is big and consuming i love everything about this book there is a sequel to the monster at the end of this book it is it's wonderful it's, it's called another monster at the end of this book starring lovable furry old grover and equally lovable furry little elmo see and the only thing i know about it phil is that it was it came out in 1996. So enlighten me. Tell me all about the sequel to the beloved The Monster at the end of this book. It is also written by John Stone. And it is so much in the spirit of the first book. It is wonderful. This time it has Grover and Elmo. Elmo is very curious and enthusiastic about the monster at the end of the book. And very much wants to see it. Grover has a ton of anxiety about this. Uh-huh. Like, he doesn't remember what, the first time it was fine that it was him, you know? Yeah. And he is super worried. He's like, look, it might be a nice monster or be a super scary one. I don't think we should roll the dice on this. And so it becomes a competition of him doing his old tricks from the first book, doing his best to plead with you and physically restrain the page from being turned. And Elmo encouraging you to do it anyway. Oh, I love it. One of my favorite parts. Uh, here, I'll hold this up to the camera so you can see. Yeah. Yeah, Grover oh. will plead. And then Elmo will just stand at the end saying, turn the page. And this one I love reading because I have to switch between my Grover voice and my Elmo voice. It's weird. So, Elmo, where are you? Turn the page. See, <laughs> so your Elmo voice is great. He puts up uh, paper clips. Elmo just like climbs under it. Elmo yeah. dances a page so it turns and twists. He tries gluing it. Well, this is one of my favorites. Elmo's just poking his head out of the corner of the page and he's just saying, Do it. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> what I was wondering about that is how old these monsters are, because I was thinking about each of the monsters on Sesame Street is supposed to represent a different age group. So Elmo is supposed to be the youngest, like Elmo is three years old, but I didn't know how old Grover was. Uh, so I looked it up. Grover can drive a cab and a bus. Grover can work at a restaurant. Yes, he can. I was just going to say. <laughs> Grover can freelance as a superhero vigilante. Mm -hmm. uh, Grover was a real estate property manager at one point and a landlord. <laughs> so how old would you guess? All right, let's do this. Pop shit. Pop <laughs> shit? <laughs> you can't. That's, that is the subtitle for our podcast. Pop shit. Oh, you tried to dance with the big dogs, Dylan, but you tripped over your paws. Oh, no. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. Try it again. Pop quiz, hot shot. There you go. How old is Grover? I'm going to say Grover's like 32. <laughs> 
Good guess. Grover is technically three and a half. I love it. <laughs> so the difference between Elmo's three-year-old and Grover three and a half is huge. Grover and his relationship with Mr. Johnson yes. makes me think that he's just this sort of like chaotic force. And I kind of want to make a D&D character. About That's him. just Grover. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, make Grover into a D&D character. I think I kind of want to do that. It, it kind of makes me want to do a Sesame Street D&D campaign. I'm going to do it. Dylan, here's the idea. Yeah. I'm going to turn Grover and Elmo into uh, D&D characters, right? I'm okay. going to make sheets for them and everything. Yeah. And then I'm going to make a one-shot campaign called There's a Monster at the End of This Dungeon. <laughs> oh, Phil. I want in on this so badly. It's going to be fun. I'm excited. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. That book sounds great. Oh, I love thinking about this stuff. Yeah. Oh, it's so cool. It's so cool. So cool. We have the first two books. Now, did you know that there is a film adaptation? I shouldn't say a film. There is a TV show long episode adaptation of the monster at the end of this book. Is it with uh, is it with the physical Muppets or is it animated? It's animated. It came out in 2020 when Sesame Street couldn't do any of the live filming with the puppets. Makes sense. So they were looking for animation to do. So they did a lot more just fully animated episodes that year. And they decided to go back to their books as sources. And one of the books was the monster at the end of this book. So they published it in two ways. They did a five-minute YouTube version that's still on YouTube that is closer to the original story that's mostly Grover with Elmo kind of interspersing here and there. And then they did a much longer, like, 15 to 20-minute version that went on the PBS Kids app and on HBO Max, which owns Sesame Street now. And the longer version involves many more Muppets who are all convincing Grover that it's okay that there is a monster at the end of the story. Oh, and that's what this one is called. It's not the monster at the end of the show or anything like that. It's the monster at the end of this story. So it's like a spinoff, a continuation, a threequel? Kind of, yeah, a threequel, a threequel, because it takes the best part of both and puts them together into one TV show episode. Uh, We just watched the five-minute one on YouTube the other night because I, for whatever reason... I couldn't no longer find it on HBO Max and PBS Kids, even though the websites both say that they it, that it still exists there, but I couldn't find it. So we watched the YouTube one, and it's just, it's delightful. Once again, it's just, it's super delightful because they're breaking the TV screen, the fourth wall of the TV screen. And while you can't, you know, they don't have like a physical, oh, press the button on your remote to keep going. Oh, thank goodness. Like they didn't, uh, didn't bandersnatch it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um but it's still the interaction with the kids of like, oh no, I don't want to, I don't want to keep telling this story. Oh, no, let's not tell a story. And in the longer one, they use songs to propel the story forward. So it almost becomes a musical in a way, which is really, do I remember any of the songs? No, but it's a delightful story and it's a delightful adaptation. And especially if you have a kid that has loved these books, seeing it on the screen is pretty exciting too. I'll give it a shot. It's cool. It's if you have HBO's free, if you can find it. Which... I'll tell you what, though, that's that's the hurdle. Now, I we have we have HBO, mm-hmm. HBO updated. Every time I go to watch HBO, it's very late at night, and the update logged us out. So every time I go to watch HBO, I'm like, oh, that's right, I want to sign in on a TV 
I guess I'm watching Netflix. <laughs> Got to call Max. Sorry, it's Max now. Call Max and be like, yo, Max, I want to log into my HBO account. And Max will say, my name's Max now. Log into me. That's monsters. Uh, wait, you know. Wait, that's it. That's it. Are we at that? It no, 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 no. We can't end the podcast because you said there was a monster at the end of this podcast. And Dylan, right. I'm worried I'm, about this. I'm, I know. I'm so sorry, Phil. You're look, Phil, Phil, Dylan. I'm shaking. Whatever, whatever you do, what? Don't look behind you. Why would you? Do I not. have a front. I'm. I'm looking. I, do, I can I, see behind I, I know. me. I have a I camera. Know. Look in my eyes. Look in my. Oh, oh no. Oh, you do. Oh, no, don't do oh, this to no. me. I'm in a basement. We want to say thank you to our kids, Mal and Rebel. We want to thank our wives, Amy and Michelle. We want to thank Kevin Alves and Big Talk Podcasts. And we want to thank Jason Moody for our theme song. Come back and catch us next time on... Oh, I am so glad you are here. Blah, blah, blah. Big talk.